Dr. Amalia Ghanius-Malka. Welcome to Womanity, Woman in Unity, the show that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggles for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights, democracy, racism, socioeconomic class division, and gender-based violence. Joining us in our Pretoria studio today is South Africa's Deputy Minister of Public Service and Administration, Dupua Letsatsi Duba. Her career has included the following roles, Chairperson of the Portfolio Committee on Public Enterprises, a member of the Limpopo Legislature, and serving as the MEC for Agriculture. In 2007, she was elected to serve on the Provincial Executive Committee and as Provincial Treasurer of the ANC in 2008. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you uh, so much. And thank you to your listeners. It's a pleasure to have you here. And going straight in, you've served South Africa for many years and you've held numerous positions. Can you share with us a few of the landmarks in your career? Well, one of the landmarks in my career is uh, when I was appointed as the MEC of Agriculture in the rural province of Limpopo, where I chose a section of women, about 10 of them, just to go and specialize on horticulture uh, productivity. And to me, it gave me a sense of fulfillment when they finished the course they were doing because coming back, it was a six-month course in India. Then when they came back, they were able to position the department to identify women who are doing horticulture in the province, training them, capacitating them, and also mentoring them. And the program went very well because we had huge successes. I remember in 2011, we had the first female uh, entrepreneur of the year in the province who received an award. We, we partnered with uh, Total South Africa to do that program. And to me, it was a fulfillment uh, of some kind because you empower these few women they are also to, to, to empower other women, and by so doing, they are empowering the whole community. So this was one of the milestones, one can say, uh, achieved in that respect. But there are other uh, milestones which one can immediately say which are not related to women empowerment as such, but in terms of improving the culture and the 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 the. the restoration the culture of an African in that sense. When I moved from agriculture, I went to sport. You realize these days we have challenges of uh, young kids, young as 10, 12 years, falling pregnant. We have challenges of uh, young kids involved in drugs. The disrespect in schools, the lawlessness, the lack of uh, abiding what can I say, a lack of uh, children who don't abide like as we grew up. So I set up a committee which was comprised of uh, leaders across the spectrum. You, take your, you talk of your academics, your religion, uh, in terms of the, the, the other tribes in Limpopo, your Afrikaners, your Spedi, your Shangan, and your Eva. So they came together and we produced what we were calling a roadmap towards moral regeneration. That to me was critical because as long as we don't pay attention 
to the young kids who are supposed to be the future leaders and leave them in that space of lawlessness, uh, uh, not abiding citizens, uh, and we are, we are planting a time bomb in a society. Unfortunately, I couldn't finish that program. I was moved to another department. So, but we have laid the basis, the, 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 the stepping stones in that direction, and I'm monitoring that program from a distance. Uh, so, so it's a pet project. <laughs> yes. But what sounds great there is that you've got this tremendous community involvement, and I think when individuals of the community get together, it belongs to them, and they want to see the success out of it. And children are the future. It affects everybody. Yes, the children are the future. It affects everybody. I remember when we started, some of the Africana men and women, they were worried because of different cultures. But the message was not about the cultures. It, it, it was about inculcating the culture of being responsible, young South Africans. And one of them was saying to me, you know, we used to have this in the past. We, we will never find... A, a young boy in the street with the sheds outside the trousers or you see a young boy smoking in the streets is because we had those programs. Now we have abandoned them hence we are experiencing these problems. So this is one of the milestones one can uh, uh, really be proud of. Uh, though I wanted uh, if I had my own way to make sure it reaches all the provinces and then we have a better society. But now you've moved into a much bigger portfolio, becoming Deputy Minister. Yes. And in this role, what would you say are some of the key areas that you want to achieve in this term? In this term, uh, what I want to achieve in relation to the mandates which are assigned to me, you, you, you will remember we have what we call the National School of Government, which was established in 2008, but is still struggling to get, to, to can get its feet off the ground to date. The main purpose of that school was to make sure we develop the type of cadership in the public service, which is uh, patriotic, which is committed, which is uh, professional and uh, ethical. Those were the main four points. But we are still uh, far lacking as far as uh, to cover those four areas is concerned. And it's because primarily the school is not capacitated well enough to can achieve that. So uh, my main drive is to focus on the school so that we have this public service which ideally will want it to take South Africa forward. And based on these uh, strong value principles. Yes. And talking about the public sector, in South Africa, it is the largest employer. One of the objectives of the Department of Public Service and Administration is to improve the effectiveness and efficiency of public service as well as its service delivery through various programs. And one which intrigued me in particular was Program 4, which concerns information and technology management, promoting ICT to deliver citizen-centered services within government. Could you tell us a little bit more about the program? Uh, this program, as you rightly said, uh, is, 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 is meant to, to promote and manage the ICT in the public service. 
and uh, through it we are intending to have a, a, a design delivery centered citizen a, a, a service delivery to ensure that the ITC at all levels it uh, is, 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 is designed to create this friendly environment for service delivery which are efficient uh, quick which uh, have a value for the citizens. This is what we are aiming at. And looking at ICT as a channel, we know that if we think about the, t- the telecommunication system and our infrastructure, that it's got far-reaching benefits in connecting mm-hmm. with people, mm-hmm. irrespective of if they're rural-based or urban-based. Mm-hmm. Are there any particular programs in place to benefit women? Yes, we have the program which is called the Gender Equality Strategic Framework in Public Service, which was launched in 2008. This program is primarily meant to make sure the women are empowered across the spectrum, including the the ICT space itself. When it was launched, the, 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 the main purpose, the minister was looking at how can various departments, because we are the Department of Public Service and Administration, how can the various departments make sure they adhere to this? So he called, she called what we called a roundtable discussion with the heads of departments. We call them DGs, so that each and every department commits to that idea and also enhance it even further. But as I was studying uh, what was discussed there and what was lacking, is the effectiveness of the implementation because once you do that and you leave it to individuals consciousness or the the feeling that i can do it i cannot do it what is lacking is the legislative enabler which i think in this term of office we need to really strive to make it happen so that it becomes compulsory for heads of department to make sure it it, it happens because you realize we have the grants which are meant to do the skills training. And if we want to focus on women, if you check the, if you check the statistics, very few, few women attend those ICT program related from the fund itself. Mostly, mostly it's young men who take advice. And the, the, the heads of departments, they don't put emphasis on that. So we need a legislation which will make sure it must happen. And perhaps it's also about time of day and given all of the other chores or commitments that mm. women are required to do, we know that uh, taking care of the family is, is one of the primary components and mm. having a job and being able to incorporate all of those elements into her life. But staying with the theme of technology, earlier we were chatting briefly about the fourth industrial revolution Mm. and looking at how that has opportunities for women in the future Mm. because you are behind a a screen or you are behind a piece of coding. It Mm. doesn't matter what gender you are. It It is all about your capabilities. Yes, yes, it's about those capabilities. And I think this revolution must not leave us women behind in the sense that not only the issue of majority in societies being women, true, but in terms of the role of women in general in society to make sure we live in a better world. I will give you the example of um, 
issues of having to standing for long queues in hospitals waiting to collect your medication a pregnant woman standing there for a long time and the medication and you know if we we we, we position women to occupy that space one of the hospitals we are trying to pilot around that to reduce the long standing of queues especially for women who have various diseases was to do what we called uh, is in the the pharmaceutical pharmacy uh, uh, section where the dispensing is not done by human beings and you'll remember in that space majority of dispensers are women so once this revolution is gradually approaching and is upon us those who will be losing their job most it will be women so what do we do in that space so we need to have a, a, a innovation which will enable us that whilst we appreciate that it brings good to the community for cost effectiveness for reducing the long queues and so on and so on but also is is going to affect human capacity human capacity the current job scenario and we can't ever forget that a woman is not in a job for herself she's in it mm. for her family mm-hmm. but i see it as about looking for new opportunities so while something may be taken away and outsourced by a piece of technology yes. it provides the chance to look ahead and think what else can we do how can we take advantage of this new world of this new world which is coming i think you are right you 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 also look at um, the school environment will it be practical in the next maybe 50 years to come for somebody to stand in front of the classroom with you know cocky pants and you know flip charts and if that moment comes and uh, where are we as women in that space not in terms of our profession but in terms of uh, the children we need to bring up uh, the children who must uh, grow up in that responsive environment where we, we 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 are confronted with the reality of the technology here we are playing dual role as professionals and also as mothers as members of the society who must make sure there's bread and butter on the table those are the issues women should start you know waking up and say what do we do now in our department we had a conference i think last month to look into the innovation in order to prepare for this fourth industrial revolution and we were saying much as we are not discriminating but most people who will be affected uh, in that space will be women you look into the, your healthcare services oh, the nurses or look at retail the cashiers you look into the retails the cleaning environment uh, and casualties obviously will be women So we said at the end of that conference to say one of the resolution was that the section which handles innovation and positioning the department for this fourth industrial revolution must also st- try to to go to high learning in- institutions and identify girls and find out what courses are they doing in that space and also from the department of education as well so that we no longer produce young girls who will be not in line with what is coming forth 
So it will be a waste of resources and also we are also disadvantaging them as young women who will be mothers in the future. Because we're teaching them the wrong things. We're teaching them the wrong things which they won't be able to apply them in the, in real life. And the challenge is that we don't know what's coming. So we don't, we don't know what skills <laughs> are needed. But it's about trying to, to train for thinking processes of creativity. Innovation, innovation. yes, creativity. Yes, this is what we are trying to say. So we will see as we go to the next conference because we 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 have it every year and uh, we'll see what the the division has done so far to make sure they they interact with academics in high learning institutions and also the department of education to check their programs to start you know teaching children innovative way of living rather than to produce um <laughs> more nurses we need them yes but in future a patient will be handled by a technology or someone looking it up on yes somebody looking up hey yes and uh, a teacher who's a female teacher a child will be taught by something which is not physical it's not mm -hmm. a warm body and uh, we are living in very exciting times and we are looking forward to see what do we do as a department to make sure the public service as well is not left behind and because this is the key of is at the core of uh, running a smooth and effective public service to make sure the country uh, is stable politically and uh, economically as mm -hmm. well and that we're part of the rest of the world because we can't lag behind what our counterparts are We are living are in doing. a global village, it's true. Absolutely. It's true, it's true. So we, we are very excited to be part of those programs as women. We will make sure we play our part and make our inputs to make sure uh, we do things which will make us smile even beyond our graves, if that's possible. I think that is a, a wonderful legacy to leave behind, to know that you made a meaningful impact on society. You are listening to Womanity, Woman in Unity on Channel Africa, the African Perspective, on frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band, also available on DSTV Channel 802. Today, we're talking to South Africa's Deputy Minister of Public Service and Administration, Dupua Litsatsi Duba. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. Deputy Minister, building female leadership capacity is important for the future of women and to our countries and continents. Malawi, Liberia and Mauritius are countries in Africa with a recent history to have had or still have a female president. How do you see female leadership in Africa? Female leadership in Africa, I think, is critical in the sense that um, from the biological point of view, Women are the, they care, and uh, it's high time the the continent must make sure they capacitate women so that they can meaningfully occupy the the, the leadership role as is required by the UN Charter and also the AU Charter on Women. We have very few women in Africa who are playing a leadership role. And this is not because they are not capable. One of the reasons is because we have been disadvantaged by our own history, that's first. 
in terms of education and also in terms of uh, the patriarchal society we come from. Secondly, we are being disadvantaged because of the, 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 the exposure as women. So the African continent must endeavor to make sure they come up with programs which deliberately will expose women and empower them to occupy those leadership positions at various levels. It can be at presidential level, it can be ministerial level, in corporate businesses, at tertiary academic level and so on. We are still lacking so much in all responsibilities of leadership across the board. I couldn't agree with you more, but I have to say that from a leadership point of view, I think South Africa stands and, and should be proud in terms of the penetration of women within the parliamentary space. But on a, a business and corporate level, we're not doing well. Besides looking at education, besides looking at legislation, what are we missing? How can we ensure that we get more women into leadership positions? You are correct because legislation is there. All policies are there to empower women. I think it's about uh, changing the mindset of the society in general. Because, as I indicated earlier on, that we come from that background, the society is still reluctant to can entrust their, their well-being to women in terms of policy decisions and uh, 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 taking decisions in terms of corporate, as one may say it. Now, it's a matter of the government maybe taking a lead in making sure we, 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 we conscientize more because it's a process. It can happen over a period of two, three years. Education and education and education. That's what will liberate the women and make sure we occupy and exercise the leadership role at that level. It's worrying because... Women are known to be good organizers in general, but when it comes to resources or academic sectors, we tend to be ignored. So it shows it is no longer the issue of policy of legislation, but the, 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 the mindset of uh, the society in general. So we need to really go all out, have a committed well-coordinated programs over and above the legislation we have to make sure we educate the society to make sure they allow women to you know to exercise and play those mm. roles because from an education point of view for the younger generations coming up they believe that they're and maybe entitled is, is the wrong word but i i see it as entitled to opportunities mm. that young women can do anything but you're right when you say there's the mindset of almost this old guard mm. that has to change in mm. order to allow those younger women to access those opportunities. Or indeed, women doesn't mm. have to be younger mm. women, but yes. it's about allowing access mm. to, mm. to taking over the reins, per se. Per se, yes. We, we, we have seen gradually uh, happening, but it's, it's not happening at the speed at which we want it to. There are sectors which in the past were purely for men, and now we have seen women drops mm. in them and there, like you, uh, in your aviation industry, you check <laughs> the, the numbers of men and women, we are just a drop in an ocean, you check in the engineering space as well, 
you check uh, in many important critical sectors, we're still lacking. But in those environments, do you think the women who've made it have got the responsibility to extend the opportunity or extend their hand out to other women in order to bring them into the mix? I don't see them doing that. I don't see them doing that because um, I attended one forum. um, We had a female pilot and we were asking her, do you have any programs to visit schools to stimulate young girls to be like where you are? He was saying, no, um, I've never thought of that. And uh, maybe something I can look into. And you can see uh, people are not reaching out to make sure we cover those space. Is them in? Is is about them? And one of the the issues as women, we don't support one another. We tend to be uh, narrow-minded to say, "Yes, here I am. I have achieved." And you don't look into your neighbor, another woman, to say, "Let me extend a hand and li- and lift up," because. Imagine if this woman had the thinking in her to say, you know, let me have this program of bringing 10, 15 young girls and tell them about how good flying is and you you you, you get into th- that space. How many women would you have been by today? Maybe two, three, four, in addition to herself. And uh, that's also the issue of a society which is not so much patriotic because you don't think about yourself only you think about the entire population Mm -hmm. the country itself that's where i think as women we need to educate ourselves around that to say we must inculcate the thinking that you empower one woman you you empower the entire nation and it must be in reality not only in talking and going beyond the legislative component it's about taking an industry responsibility Yes, yes. To ensure that that happens. To have that confidence as women to say, I can fix a, a geyser or I can manufacture a geyser. And I can be innovative to say, moving with times, how do I improve the geysers which were there 15, 10 years ago as a young woman? So we need to boost the levels of um, not commitment. How? How can I put it? The levels of confidence in young women and is part of the whole education of trying to build uh, active citizenry in terms of young women to say they must grow up with this confidence to say, if a human being who is a man can do it, I can also do it. Mm. But we are still, still lacking in that. Even from our own homes as mothers, we normally don't talk to our children very strongly about uh, having that self-confidence to, to venture into space where they think is tough. As mothers, we tend to say, ah, okay, it's okay. <laughs> you know, we don't play our role as well. So we have to be a bit more, increase the risk appetite and yes. be less nurturing. So it goes back to that inherent trait that women have of nurturing, <laughs> of nurturing. but being conscious of when to stop and allow yes, some of the allow somebody stuff. to yes definitely definitely but uh, i think uh, african continent uh, in fact uh, the world in general uh, leadership 
in terms of women across the board is still far much below. There were conferences in the past, you remember the Beijing one where resolutions were taken, but something is missing. It's an indication that something we are not doing right as women to can really uh, have those goals which were articulated mm. uh, during those women's conferences. Because that was 1995. Yes, long time ago. And yeah. since then, we haven't seen any follow-up mm. of that meeting. What happens is us who must say, yay, come, let's do it again. You're and right. see where are we and take a stock. And perhaps that goes into the fourth industrial revolution. Yes, let's take a stock and say the fourth industrial revolution is upon us. Where are we as women globally? I think somebody must initiate it. Maybe through your programs. <laughs> we can start throwing fillers to, to, to the leadership uh, across the world to say, you know, the fourth industrial revolution is here. Like we did in Beijing. Let's come together as women. I think that's a very, very important statement. Yes. <laughs> now, Deputy Minister... On that note, I'd like to turn towards more of a personal perspective. And it's a question that I ask all my guests on this program who've made tremendous achievements in their respective fields. Mm. And it's about the factors of their success. Some people speak about hard work. Others talk about perseverance or mm. particular figures in their life. Mm. So can you share with us what would you say have been some of your key factors of success? My key factors of my success, I think, is uh, hard work. A combination of hard work and passion. Because you can have passion, but if you are sluggish in doing your things, <laughs> that passion will remain a passion. But the combination of the two, I think this is what made me to, to get where I am today. And uh, passion is not something you can learn or you, you, you can it's, it's in you it's in you because my personality is that kind of a personality where I want to see results and this is what drives me to, to, to work hard because uh, if I said to a, a PA I want this paper to be folded like this and uh, the next morning, the folding is like this. <laughs> you get agitated. You don't get the results you want. So hard work and passion, this is what drives me and this is what makes me to be, to, to, to be where I am. And um, I think if all of us, we can have passion to what we are doing, we can reach far as women, as members of the communities and as the country. Mm, it's, it's the fuel that lights the fire. Yes, they like the fire. You, 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 you wake up in the middle of the night, you say, this is what, what I dream to happen. And you attach that passion to it. You couple it with uh, your energies. Mm. You run with it. It can be how difficult, but uh, even if it's difficult, you don't see the difficulty because you have been driven by that passion and hard work. And you, you only realize once you are done that, oh, how did I pass through that mountain? Passion is the key. I think that's a wonderful value to have as a driver. 
Can you share with us some of the pivotal moments in your life growing up? <laughs> growing up, hey, you know, um, I grew up in exile, partly because I left the country when I was 16 years. And one of the exciting or yeah, exciting moments of my life is when I received my certificate from Luansha High School, being away from parents for almost a long time. And uh, yeah, it, it made me to realize that life is a journey. You don't just wake up and uh, have what you want. Under all those difficult conditions where you had nobody around you who were blood relatives, I mean, you had comrades but not blood relatives, being on your own, having to have that kind of discipline, having that kind of a responsibility at, the, at that young age to make sure your books are in order, your uniform is okay. Nobody is is behind you to say you must do A, B, C, D. So those are the highlights of my growing up and uh, they are a source of my encouragement and my source of inspiration when I look back to say if I was able to pass through that, nothing can stop me because uh, you become an adult before you are an adult. And if you were able to, to go through that stage where there was no guidance, parental guidance, what next? What else? It really sounds like a lot of breeding of independence. Yes. And what would you say has had the biggest impact on you to make you the person that you are today? I think the impact, it was the, 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 well, before I left exile, the, 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 the hardships, the hardships one went through as, not as an individual, as the family, when, uh, my grandmother who was visiting us, I'm from Gauteng, uh, I was born in Gauteng and partly raised up there. The impact of the, the past laws, when a, a grandmother had to run away from the police visiting her own daughter and the grandchildren, and when the police comes because he, he didn't have a pass, to visit, he had to run away. And on that day, I remember I was uh, seven years old. She broke her leg trying to run away. So these are the things which touches you in life, and they don't easily fade away from your memory. And um, they make you to be to become a strong person, and motivate you to make sure that no human being must be ridiculed or suffer in the manner in which you have seen your grandmother being suffering. At times, uh, we'll hide her behind the door 
and if they don't discover her and uh, is lucky if they do discover her she'll be humiliated in front of us and you don't this is what shape you as a person growing and uh, to say it can be a human being is a human being must be respected irrespective of who she is or the status in the community everyone has dignity everyone has dignity and must be respected irrespective of what and lastly deputy minister as we close out the program today mm-hmm. can you please share a few words of inspiration that you'd like to impart to the young women on the continent that are listening to us the young women in the continent who are listening to us today they must just use the opportunities which are there not for themselves only but for the communities where they live because once you are self-centered you lose the bigger picture use the opportunities to the maximum and exploit those opportunities because it's not in the past they are there now once you use them you'll be able to make an impact to make sure that we reduce the conflicts in the continent in the communities where we live because you'll be playing a part as young women uh, in economics in finances in politics in whatever so those opportunities are there grab them use them to make uh, the communities where you live better and better and better Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure having you on our show today. My pleasure, my pleasure, and we hope we will be able to make sure that uh, that women's conference come again to prepare ourselves for the fourth industrial revolution. We are already behind. The future <laughs> waits for no one. Future waits for no one. You have been listening to Womanity, Woman and Unity on Channel Africa, The African Perspective, and we have been talking to South Africa's Deputy Minister of Public Service and Administration, Chakua Letsatsi Duba.